This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Western New York race fans, it's time to crank it up. Start your engine! For the next hour, the airwaves belong to you. Sit down, strap in, and let's head to WGR's Fast Track. All right, take a nice big deep breath, buddy. With your host, let's go out there and have a good day, all right, bud? Dave Buchanan. Good morning, race fans. 11.02 here on WGR Sports Radio 550. And welcome to another edition of WGR's Fast Track. I'm Dave Buchanan. Thanks for listening, as always, as we have reached the uh, part of the early NASCAR season where NASCAR goes west. And I immediately make jokes about Five Will Goes West, the sequel to American Tale, because, you know, I grew up during that era. But it's the beginning of the three-race West Coast trip for the NASCAR Monster Energy Cup Series. It starts today at Las Vegas, then is off to California, and then Phoenix for the next three races for the Monster Energy Cup Series coverage coming up at 3.30 this afternoon. Actually, I got that backwards. It's Phoenix, then California, Auto Club Speedway. So next weekend, Phoenix, then the following weekend, Auto Club Speedway. Sorry, my bad. But today's race, the Pennzoil 400, presented by Jiffy Lube, coming up at 3.30. And we're going to talk more about that race today at 11.15 with Matt Weaver from Auto Week and Short Track Scene. Matt will join us live from Vegas as he is covering the race today for Auto Week. And uh, he will check in in about 11 minutes or so here, quarter past the hour here on Fast Track. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, local racer Andy Jankowiak is going to join a second-generation driver, and he'll be in action next weekend over at the New York State Fairgrounds in Syracuse as the uh, indoor uh, auto racing TQ Midgets will be uh, in action in Syracuse for the first time ever. Uh, Traditionally, a three-race indoor TQ Midget series that runs uh, up, dates around the eastern uh, northeastern uh, region of the country they traditionally have a race at Atlantic City which Andy won just uh, earlier this winter uh, they've run uh, Atlantic City uh, Bridgeport they've run in uh, the Rhode Island they've run some other uh, cities and they've bounced around to some facilities on the east in the northeast but this year they got a date in Syracuse for the first time ever and it coincides with the big uh, Motorsports Expo next weekend over there in Syracuse. So lots to do for local race fans next weekend in Syracuse. Um, and their most recent race was in Atlantic City, the Gamblers Classic at Boardwalk Hall in, in Atlantic City. Andy won that, and uh, he'll be in action next weekend. And so we'll talk to Andy Jankowiak at the bottom of the hour. Andy also uh, was down in Florida during Speed Weeks with uh, his modified team, the McGrath Motorsports team that runs on the Race of Champions Modified Series. They finished second in the ROC points this past season, and they took their uh, efforts down to New Smyrna during Speed Weeks for the first time ever. And uh, we'll also talk to Andy about that. So he has uh, got a big race, though, coming up next weekend over there in Syracuse. Uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. That was it. I couldn't think of the third city they race in this year. But they've had some other cities uh, in the Northeast uh, throughout the last few years. But this is uh, they've done Albany in the past. But this is about as close to Buffalo as they've gotten, which is a shame because, of course, of the tradition we used to have here in Western New York with indoor TQ Midget racing during the winter months, uh, during the Niagara Falls Convention Center days, when that before it was the casino, uh, Harry Macy 
and uh, his uh, his group, uh, along with the, the Can-Am Midget Club, uh, would, of course, uh, put on those uh, annual indoor TQ Midget Race at the Niagara Falls Convention Center for a number of years from the, the mid-'80s till 2000-2001. Uh, uh, and then, of course, the uh, the Seneca's bought the property, turned to the casino. But we have used to have a great tradition of that uh, throughout the years. And then uh, Lenny Sammons and the, the folks associated with the area auto racing news uh, picked up uh, the hammer uh, about a decade or so ago and started promoting some indoor races uh, farther east, uh, starting with the race in Atlantic City, which harkens back to some traditions uh, back in the 60s and 70s. And they've expanded that to a three-race series. But now it comes to Syracuse next weekend, which, again, about as close as it gets to Buffalo. And many drivers from Western New York uh, run these races uh, each and every winter. Uh, the uh, Andy and Sean Nye, uh, Jonathan Reed always runs these. Um, the Catalanos uh, over from Rochester. Uh, Scott Cruder drives for uh, Trey Hoddock and a lot of other drivers you see here outdoors in the TQ Midgets every winter. Um, running at tracks at Lancaster and Holland uh, do these uh, indoor races too. Eric Rudolph also very successful uh, on the indoor circuit uh, with uh, J- uh, the Laffler chassis ride that he competes with. So again, Andy Jankowicz can talk about some indoor TQ midget racing and some outdoor modified racing at the bottom of the hour. But we start, it took me a long time to get through that, I apologize. Uh, but we start uh, talking about today's race at Las Vegas and this is the uh, final uh, unveiling of the uh, new Aero package. We got a little bit of it last week at Atlanta, but now we've got the whole kit and caboodle today with the full unveiling of the uh, new Aero package for NASCAR for the mile and a half and two mile tracks with the full on air duct package included on the vehicles today. And uh, it's already off to a interesting start this weekend in Vegas as qualifying had a very interesting look on Friday where drafting almost came into play and it was packed qualifying during Friday's session to set the field for today's race where instead of single car runs, uh, everybody waited to just go out as one big group to uh, find a good spot in the draft to give them the fastest lap and the uh, guy that wrangled the draft the best during the final round of qualifying was Kevin Harvick, as he will be on the pole for today's race in the uh, Jimmy John's Ford for Stuart Haas Racing. He starts on the pole today alongside Daytona 500 champion Denny Hamlin. Kyle Busch qualifying third, uh, as usual, when something new from NASCAR uh, comes out. He's usually quick to criticize it, and he wasn't a fan of it uh, in some of the comments he made after qualifying on Friday. And uh, But he still managed to qualify third quick in the final round. He'll start third alongside Austin Dillon. Daniel Hemrick, who uh, he has had a good run going last week at Atlanta, running inside the top five and then crash late in the race uh, for Richard Childress Racing, qualifying fifth. David Reagan, a nice performance for him in sixth. Kyle Larson starts seventh today, and Kyle had an interesting week after some comments he made on an NBC production about Hendrick Motorsports were apparently taken out of context And uh, he had to do some backpedaling this week as he made some comments about Hendrick Motorsports and uh, what they uh, what they may or may not do with their cars. And uh, I think uh, he was probably he said he was being joking. He had a more joking tone about it. But when you read the words in print without maybe any kind of context or tone involved, it looked like some pretty serious accusations, Uh, maybe not accusations, but really just that uh, saying that they started. They start out slow, but then they, you know, they cheat a little bit more as the season goes on. Um, 
Yeah, here's the quote. I've, uh, this is from Kyle Larson. I feel like Hendrick just plays games in a way with NASCAR, and I feel they always start the year kind of bad to show NASCAR that they're being nice and cooperating, following the rules and stuff, and then it gets a couple months in and they start cheating and finding some speed. So he says he was kidding, and he apologized and kind of backtracked his comments and you know said pretty much that he kind of has to watch what he says in the future, which is a shame because you know it seems like so many drivers are accused of being vanilla and towing the company line and not saying how they really feel and then one driver does they get jumped on upon them and then they have to you know backpedal what they say either way it was an interesting comment from Kyle Larson and he starts uh, seventh in the race today and I, I had no problem with you know believe me I've been thinking Hendrick Motorsports is a bunch of cheaters for years <laughs> look what the trouble uh, Chad Knauss used to get into and Ray, Ray Everham used to get into back in the Rainbow Warrior days it, it, it wouldn't surprise me one bit so uh, I, I wish there was more of that in the sport and unfortunately you know when it, stuff like that happens now there's such a, a backlash uh, that uh, drivers now are afraid to make comments like that but Kyle uh, learned his lesson, I guess, this week. But he starts seventh alongside Ricky Stenhouse. Jimmy Johnson and Joey Logano round out your top ten starters today. Uh, you've got Alex Bowman and Chase Elliott in row six. Ryan Blaney qualified 13th. Uh, Clint Boyer, Eric Jones, 17th and 18th. Brad Kozlowski picked up the win last week at Atlanta, of course. And after a disappointing qualifying performance for the Penske Fours, they came on strong last week. And Kozlowski getting the win and also becoming the winningest driver in Penske racing history, surpassing Mark Donahue's uh, record for the team, which is pretty impressive. When you uh, put together all his Cup and Xfinity Series wins, he's the most he's the winningest driver for uh, Roger Penske. He starts 19th today alongside William Byron in row 10. Uh, Martin Truex starts 23rd today alongside Ryan Priest in row 12. Um, Eric Almirola, 25th, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, some of the big, or Kurt Busch back in 28th, I guess that'd be the last of the notable names in the field uh, for this afternoon, which again, we'll have the race here on WGR at 3.30, um, and really, uh, who knows what to expect, we're going to ask Matt Weaver about this in a few minutes, but again, more question marks, we've had a lot of question marks these first three races of the season, because we didn't know what to expect, uh, last week at Atlanta, it was... It didn't seem to have a big effect, but again, it wasn't the full package. And again, Atlanta has a very worn out and old racing surface. So it still kind of looked like a mile and a half, a, a traditional mile and a half race. Uh, Truex was catching Keslowski late in the race, but who knows? Was Keslowski maybe taking it easy because a couple of his teammates had tires that went away late in the race? Was he worried about uh, uh, shredding a tire in those last couple laps? Was he taking it a little bit easy? Seemed to be slowing down. But it was nice to see Truex reel him in and just ran out of time. Uh, we'll see if the draft comes into play. The The thing I miss the most when it comes to, to like the drafting package is the old slingshot pass. And um, it's so hard to do now with uh, the, the side drafting and everything. But the old just guy pulls out a line and passes the guy with a slingshot. And you, you don't see it as much um, currently in NASCAR, whether it's guys don't want to risk jumping out of line on their own or just now the side draft on these cars is so strong that it makes it even harder to kind of make that slingshot maneuver to go by uh, a car in front of them. Uh, that'd be something I'd love to see. I don't think we're going to get that today, but um, when it comes to drafting a NASCAR, I guess that's that's the one thing I, I do miss, uh, kind of that you know I, that old school thing from the sport that you miss the most. Maybe the, the slingshot pass is something I miss seeing in the sport. So it'd be great if we saw some of that. It's not going to be... Uh, I don't think we'll see a Daytona-Talladega-type race, but hopefully the cars do stay 
group together on the racetrack and we don't see leaders jumping out to five second leads um, because it was kind of the same really uh, last week with the, the the partial package we had with the uh, you know the taller spoiler and the uh, the bigger splitter and, and everything underneath the cars for the, the added downforce and of course the space the tapered spacers to re- restrict the horsepower on these cars. So, uh, but really, and uh, Nick Bromberg from Yahoo Sports really was kind of keeping track throughout the race. He was uh, comparing and contrasting the previous year's race to the races as it was being run last Sunday and kind of taking, literally took screenshots from last year's Fox broadcast with the timing and scoring pile on the left-hand side of the screen and showing that um, really the, the intervals between the leaders wasn't all that different. It seemed like maybe, you know, first to second, it would kind of stay the same compared to the the year past. But when you looked at maybe the top 10 as a whole, they might not have been as spread out, but still the leader still had an advantage in the clean air. Uh, maybe not as distinct, but uh, it still was there. And uh, I thought Nick did a good job of kind of showing his work to, to kind of compare and contrast uh, the both races. Uh, but not, you know, not a terrible race. It was, it was kind of just your usual mile-and-a-half Atlanta race you've come to expect. So, And uh, Brad Keselowski getting the win last week over uh, Martin Truex, who tried to chase him down there late. So off to two races. we got Denny Hamlin and Brad Keselowski now as your two winners so far here in 2019. And, uh, you know, Brad, I thought Brad last year when he – I was – not worried, but I thought, hey, maybe this when he went on that win streak, he won the Southern 500, he won in Indianapolis, he, he won the uh, the the playoff opener, he went on a three race winning streak. I thought, it, could the, could he be like Tony Stewart when Stewart won his last championship, where he got really hot in the playoffs? Uh, I really thought Keselowski was going to be a threat last year. Uh, in the end, obviously came up short, and his teammate went on to win the championship. But uh, is is Brad uh, is Brad going to be a, a legitimate? Championship contender here once again. He's off to a good start with a win last week at Atlanta. Let's go to the Western Hotline, though, and bring in from Auto Week and Short Track Scene, Matt Weaver joins us on the line. Matt, Dave Buchanan here in Buffalo. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Dave. Great to have you back on the program, sir. And uh, another race and three races in here to the 2019 season for the Cup Series, Matt. And it seems like we start out every race day with just a lot of questions to be answered because uh, we don't know, once again, we don't know what to expect. Yeah, you know, I, I said it leading up to Atlanta last weekend that this is typically the part of the season where I say now the real season begins because Daytona is always kind of a, an anomaly. Well, Daytona is still Daytona. Atlanta was such a unique race because of its surface and the new package and no one really knew what to expect. And now we have another one of those races. I feel like we're going to go to every single venue for the first two months of the year or so and just really not know what to expect or, or how to prognosticate it, predict favorites. I have no idea what's going to happen Sunday, <laughs> for better or worse, and uh, we're all along for the ride. Well, you were right there in the throng of it after qualifying on Friday, and uh, you definitely, I was watching some of your clips on Twitter from the, the different driver reactions, and it was a mi- mixed bag, at, at, it seemed like, from both ends of the spectrum. Either some guys liked it or didn't mind it, and... Then there was other guys that seemed to just downright had a disdain for for what they saw in qualifying on Friday. Yeah, uh, I don't think there were a lot of soft opinions. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Newman said that this isn't racing, and if this is what NASCAR fans want, they should play shuffleboard. Uh, Kyle <laughs> Busch had no love for it whatsoever. Uh, I asked him 
it? Do you like it? Is it fun? No, no. Uh, Kyle has previously said that this requires less talent than it did before. Uh, Matt Benedetto said that while he was entertained by it behind the wheel, he did not like it. Uh, then you had a guy like Chase Elliott who said, you know, it, it was kind of fun for him. It was dramatic. Uh, it was just all across the board. Lots of opinions, but not a lot of people were kind of like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it was either you, you really, really loved it and you thought that it made your team better in some cases, or you had guys who just felt like it was too far towards the, the gimmick, gimmicky side. And uh, I, I think you're going to see those strong opinions continue into post-race today and at least uh, through the summer. I thought, you know, once they got on the track and were out there, I didn't mind it. I just thought, uh, and again, it's not the first time this has happened. I hate when the they start the session and then everybody sits there on pit road. I, I find that just ridiculous, and it's almost embarrassing when they do that. But th- th- that's just me. Well, you know, the, the, the tough part is, is like nobody wants to be first. Yeah. We saw what happened. You know, whoever the first guy is, is a, is a sitting duck. I, I almost expected a, a handful of guys just to go out there and, and turn as slow of a lap as possible, don't do anything to the tires, and pull right back on pit road and be at the back. <laughs> and say, so, yeah, yeah, turn back. And uh, everyone just waited till the very last minute. And I think drivers and some fans probably look at this the same way as tandem racing. Yeah. It was exciting and it was thrilling. But you know that the guy that's in the front – is automatically going to give himself up. In the same way that during tandem racing, the guy that was pushing in the back had to automatically give himself up. And if you feel like half the field no longer has a, a chance to win the race or win the pole because they're, they're totally out of control and, and, and no longer a factor in the, in the configuration and, and, and the formula, um, I, I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Matt Weaver from Auto Week joining us here on WGR's Fast Track. Uh, early, it's very early in the season, obviously, but you look at the the mix here through three races, and you just look at the starting lineup for today's race. You see all kind of th- you'll see all three manufacturers represented here in the top ten just for the start of the race today. Again, very early in the season, I know a lot can change, but is this a kind of year where maybe not one? manufacturer has a big advantage maybe kind of like the fords were so successful last year do you do we see maybe a, a legit shot for toyota chevy and ford to really wage war here and uh you know you know and, and have a real balance year this year when it comes to to wins well again i think it's a little too early to say because we've had one restrictor plate race the last restrictor plate race and daytona or atlanta which is so abrasive it's hard to really read anything into but i do think that nascar's goal this year was to create ultimate parity and you know for better or worse nascar wants to create an environment where the 30th place guy can be the first place guy and i think that is probably best represented so far this year by with all due respect to them a a front row motorsports they have been inside the top 10 with regularity yes Uh, you know mcdowell had a run at the daytona 500 and i think a lot of people kind of shrugged that off but mcdowell was pretty good uh, at atlanta too And, and now both mcdowell and uh, David Reagan have showed some speed, at least in qualifying for this weekend at Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, you, you've had Levine Family Racing show some spurts there at Daytona. Uh, I, this is what NASCAR wants, and I, I think that's not always going to be the case. I think certain tracks are going to be different than others, and certainly the, the short track, they're going to have the 750 horsepower 
and that's where handling comes more into play. So mm-hmm. it's going to kind of get rid of the parity. But uh, I do think this is what NASCAR wants. They want a level playing field. Well, not only do you rate for Auto Week, you also operate a short track scene and a very interesting week weekend for short track racing out there in Las Vegas. Matt, thir- I think it was Thursday night, you had the NASCAR k and West Series, you had the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars, and you had the uh, USAC Sprint Cars all in action at the racetrack on the same night, not at the same time as Bob Progress clarified on Twitter, <laughs> but still a very unique event there on Thursday, Matt, and it was very cool to see all those different types of race cars in action and some a couple, very exciting finishes as well yeah not only was it unique it was actually historic you know nascar usac uh world racing group the world of outlaws um these are three very historic long-standing motorsport sanctioning bodies and believe it or not this was the first time in motorsports history that each of those three sanctioning bodies came together to co-promote an event at the same venue and the racing was just excellent, especially on Thursday. You had last lap passes for the win across all three races. Uh, a little bit of history there with Haley Deegan mm-hmm. becoming the first female points leader in the 72-year history of, of any NASCAR regional and or national tour. Uh, Donnie Schatz, you know, doing the last lap pass of Darren Pittman, a really good championship battle forming there. Uh, you had some familiar names. Uh, and Casey Kane, Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, all competing and, and getting those tours some national exposure. So mm-hmm. it was just good. It was good for everyone. And, uh, you know, say what you will about the NASCAR package and, and how that's kind of being polarizing. But if you look at the overall health of motorsports, I feel like the industry is trending the right way. And you've got every sanctioning body working together. Because I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit, but I think one thing that's really hurt racing I know you you know this because you're a racing guy in general, but racing disciplines have been kind of at war with each other. My kind of racing is better than yours, dirt versus pavement, IndyCar mm-hmm. versus NASCAR. And I think that one thing we have seen maybe the past two years or so, you're seeing racing people come together and say, hey, I like racing. It's not going to be me versus you. We need to work together or we're all going to go away. And I think that was best represented by Wednesday and Thursday at the Las Vegas dirt track. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, when one is doing well, it, it works better for everybody than, you know, having, you know, prime examples, obviously the 90s with, you know, IndyCar versus IR or a cart versus IRL, uh, what it did to IndyCar racing and uh, everything else. That it, it, when there's infighting in the sport, it's better if we all just get along and, and try and work together. It seems to be better for racing as a whole. Uh, I did want to ask you real quick before we run out of time here. You had a, you talked to Kyle Larson and the stories posted over on Auto Week uh, about the World of Outlaws and live TV. And uh, obviously, World of Outlaws, World Racing Group, they do a phenomenal job with Dirt Vision and getting all of the World of Outlaws races online, which is kind of the the best way these days for short track racing to get an audience outside of the track is to is to stream on the internet but kyle thinks you know that it would be successful on live tv i tend to slightly disagree because i think there's there has to with short track racing especially on a dirt track there almost has to be a little bit of downtime in the schedule so it makes it hard as a live tv product i always found that like when you'd watch the world finals used to be on live tv or you watch the chili bowl on live tv there's big chunks of the broadcast where the the broadcasters may do a great job with filling that downtime with interviews or, or features and everything but there it's still 
hard to do short track racing as a live TV package uh, for for a mainstream audience. Uh, that that's my take on it. What, what did you think about what do you think about that and uh, what 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 Kyle had to say about it? Yeah, you know, I think that the best example to your point would be the Chili Bowl because there is that man. It might have been nearly a two hour delay. Um, as, as Tony Stewart prepped the track. And, mm. you know, Tony was trying to make a statement there after he kind of had a run-in with the promoters the year before mm. when it came to track prep. And so that was kind of unfortunate. But, uh, you know, that could happen anywhere. That could happen at any track. Uh, if, if, if the sanctioning body starts to lose the track a little bit, I'm not totally sure if there's not a way. I, I, I'm of the, the school of thought that if you really want something to happen, you, you can figure it out because uh, – a problem is just a precursor to a solution. Sure. And um, the thing that made me ask that question, what prompted that topic was, is I do see great growth in the world of outlaws and sprint car racing. And it's no surprise to me that you have guys like Tony Stewart, who's now returned to sprint car racing, Casey Kane, who's doing this and having a lot of fun. Uh, Larson has said that he wants to be a full-time outlaw by the time he's 40 years old, mm. Christopher Bell, while not being totally as candid as hashtag Blunt Larson, <laughs> uh, has pretty much said that he wants to do that, too. So to me, and, and the reason why I'm, I'm covering them this year, is if all these big-time names mm. who I've gotten to know in stock car world, honestly, candidly, would rather be there, maybe I should be there, too. And maybe, just maybe, fans should be able to watch live. I know there's Dirt Vision. Uh, but I wanted to know what would make them more mainstream, what would make them more um, almost having the, the stature of NASCAR but without losing its appeal. And mm. then that kind of formed the question. And uh, I don't know what the answer is. Mm. Your argument is totally valid. And I saw it firsthand at my first Chili Bowl this year. But I do believe that if there's a will, there's a way, and there's a way to kind of make that work out without losing too much time or losing too much of your identity. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't work. I just, I just see that as, as a challenge, and I've just noticed that from watching just, just, just being around a short track racing here locally and watching it nationally as well too. I, I, it could work. It, it's you know, you get the right. TV minds, the right people to put together a great broadcast. I'm sure it will come off just fine. I know the the Supercross, they do a great job with their live broadcast now on NBC. So it, it could be done, it, it, but I do consider it maybe a challenge, at least for a mainstream audience. Your, your hardcore fans, they're going to tune in and sit through everything. Uh, they, you know, they've been doing it short tracks for you know ever since racing started. So uh, it will always have its audience, but could it? I guess the challenge again, the the time constraints and everything, could it find a mainstream audience? But uh, I, I thought that was a very interesting article. I'm glad you asked Kyle that question. Uh, also, we should add, that was your first World of Outlaw race in person, correct? Well, how was that experience? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, um, you know, I, I'm going to be very, very blunt myself here. I have concerns about the direction of NASCAR with this package, and we'll see how it plays out today. I don't like the idea of limiting throttle response taking talent away from drivers. I've had enough drivers tell me that. I think we kind of see it play out in the package so far. Uh, but these cars are so muted right now. Mm. And to me, I grew up thinking that a major league motorsport should be the hardest cars to drive, the most elite drivers. Uh, we saw what happened with IndyCar when you started to you know, take the talent away to make it to where you know, lesser talented drivers or drivers from different backgrounds could come in. And it crippled IndyCar-style racing. So to me, I want to have a, an out, 
if you will, mm-hmm. to where if I feel like stock car racing is no longer providing that kind of true, pure, the most talent prevails form of racing, I wanted to go find that elsewhere. And uh, I think I found it in the world of outlaws and sprint car racing. The the weight to horsepower ratio is out of this world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not giving up on NASCAR. They're trying to find their identity. Uh, they've got to balance sports and sporting integrity and entertainment. I get that. I fear they're moving too far to the other side. But, yeah, it's pushed me to find an alternative. And I, I, I'm not surprised that other people feel the same way. And uh, to me, I just want to watch a motorsport and know that the best guy with the hardest-to-drive cars won the race. And that's what I've discovered in the world of outlaws. And I'm going to cover them a lot more this year because I feel like they are the toughest cars to drive, and, and their athletes are the baddest in North America, if not the world. Very good. Uh, AutoWeek.com and ShortTrackScene.com for more from Matt Weaver. You can also follow him on Twitter, Matt, at Matt Weaver AW. Matt, uh, we went long here. Thank you for your precious time here on a race day when you're covering an event. Thank you so much, and hopefully we can talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, bud. Good talking to you. All right, take care. Matt Weaver from uh, Auto Week and Short Track Scene, and, uh, yeah, the the World of Outlaws, their, their uh, image in the racing landscape continues to grow as – Again, the, the the crossover with NASCAR keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's been there, but uh, you know, going back to Tony Stewart, but is you know Casey Kane left the sport, go go run Outlaws. Kyle Larson wants to go be a full time Outlaw driver. Uh, it's just going to get give them a bigger audience when as more mainstream household names run there even more regularly. Uh, it, it might attract more viewers. Which again, as much as NASCAR might hate it, it's probably good for all of us. That love this sport, especially when it comes to short track racing, because it's like, oh, that, that World of Outlaws stuff on dirt's cool. I'm going to go to my local dirt track and see what they got, too. So, again, you know, rising tide lifts all ships kind of thing. All right, we're late. When we come back, we'll talk to, speaking of local racing, Andy Janko is going to join us. He's going to be doing some racing this coming weekend in Syracuse indoors. We'll talk to him when we get back here on Fast Track on WGR. Hi, this is Alex Bowman, driver of the number 88 nationwide Chevy Camaro for Hendrick Motorsports. You're listening to WGR Sports Radio 550. Alex Bowman starts 11th today in Las Vegas, 11:37 here on WGR Sports Radio 550. Dave Buchanan here at WGR's Fast Track, and let's go right to the Western Hotline and bring in. He was the runner-up this past season on the Race of Champions Modified Series with McGrath Motorsports, and he is in action next weekend at the New York State Fairgrounds of Syracuse for the uh, Indoor Auto Racing TQ Midget Championships. Andy Jankowiak is on the line. Andy J, good morning, my friend. How are you? Morning, Dave. How are you, buddy? Doing good. And, uh, well, you got to let's, – let's start right there. Big show next weekend in Syracuse. It's got to be nice not having to drive eight hours for one of these TQ races. Uh, I know. It's going to be weird. We were actually uh, thinking about – we're, we're going to go up a day early because usually we do, but um... – we almost thought about just leaving Friday morning, which is just kind of crazy for one of those indoor things. Uh, <laughs> closest one we've ever had before was Albany, so uh, it's pretty cool. It's nice to be home. And uh, you are coming off a win in their last event there at Atlantic City, the Gamblers Classic, which is kind of the signature event of these indoor uh, TQ races here in the Northeast, Andy. And I know it meant a lot to you to win that race uh, uh, earlier this winter. Uh, I meant the world to me, Dave. You have no idea. Uh, that that's the favorite my uh, my favorite one of my career so far. So uh, that was pretty cool. That was uh, that was uh, about five six years in the making between driving for Trey and kind of learning some stuff, and then um, we built our own chassis based on uh, things I learned driving for Trey. And uh, you know, the goal was always to win that race and uh, to be able to accomplish that. That was uh, 
that was pretty cool. It meant a lot. For those that don't know, Andy, what makes what made winning that race in Atlantic City so special for you? For for the folks that might not follow the sport as close, closely. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the Atlantic City race is not only the main part of the indoor series, but it, it's the biggest race in TQ in three quarter midget racing, just period. <clears throat> So, um, you know, to win that race, it's kind of a who's who in racing, and uh, especially in the TQ midgets. And, you know, it's, it's a race that's attracted a lot of attention from drivers that don't even run TQ midgets because just because the race is so popular. You know, Keddie Schrader's run that race. Um, you know, it's certainly Teddy Christopher's a former event winner. And, uh, you know, just the, the people that it draws and, uh, you know, it just, you know, obviously TQ racing goes, goes way back over Atlantic City like you had talked about earlier. You know, they're racing at Boardwalk Hall in the 60s and the 70s. So it's a lot of history combined with it being, you know, the biggest paying race in the TQ Midget calendar and uh, just a lot goes into it. And, uh, you know, I've put a lot of effort into trying to get a win over there for the last six, seven years. Uh, we've been second before. I won the Friday night race. We did everything but win that one. So uh, to be able to close the deal and uh, get my name on the trophies, uh, just amazing. Uh, one of my favorite things that I don't get to go to these events, but just following from home is just watching the the group of drivers that comes from our area because we've got some of the best TQ Midget racers, and and this region is fortunate because we do race them outdoors all summer. Uh, you know, out here and maybe New Jersey, not a lot of places have TQ Midget racing all year long, but. We send a really talented group of drivers to the races. On top of yourself, uh, the the Nye brothers, the Jonathan Reeds, the Patrick Emmerlings, the Catalanos, Scotty Cruder. Uh, you know, we just have so many talented young men that that go to these events. It, it's I just it's like pulling from my hometown team, watching you guys run these, uh, trying to keep track of these races. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know, as you said earlier, you know, TQ racing goes way back in Western New York and even Southern Ontario with the Can Am series, and uh, you know. <clears throat> Some of my uh, favorite racing guys to talk to, like Vinny Cristiano, and like you'd mentioned, Harry Macy, who'd passed away now. But um, it, there's there's so much history here in Western New York for the midgets, and you know we used to run indoor indoors at the Niagara Falls Convention Center, which actually uh, many do now know now is the uh, casino up there. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, we used to race uh, three quarter midgets in there four times a year up until about 2003. I didn't; I was too young. But um, you know, we, we, we just have a big following of uh, the midget racing over here in western New York, and uh, we've always brought a good group down to uh, Jersey to go compete with them guys. And uh, it's always kind of been like, a, you know, a friendly rivalry in New York versus Jersey, but it's always kind of been on their playgrounds over there. Um, not that we mind going to Atlantic City. We like going over there. But, uh, you know, to have one coming back home here, that that's really, really cool. And I know, uh, you know, me and the Nyes, and I'm sure Eric, you know, I think we're all excited to be racing a little bit closer to home. Like I said, we had the one over in Albany last year, but, you know, that was um, that was about as close to them as it was to us. So uh, to get one back home, it's going to be cool. And uh, actually, the venue itself, uh, normally we race inside of, like, AHL-type hockey arenas. They'll yeah. take the first row of seating out, and, you know, we'll race kind of around where the boards would be. But this one's actually just a giant building. They're putting bleacher seating in, which is uh, very similar to the layout that they had at the Niagara Falls Convention Center back in the day. So uh, it's, it's going to be a good throwback. Uh, I'm hoping some of the old TQ guys come out. Vinny Cristiano, I think he mentioned he was coming out. Get some of the uh, Western New York All-Stars over there support the event. So it should be pretty cool. Yeah, for those that have never seen it, imagine um, race cars racing inside the Key Bank Center. That's kind of what these events are like. And obviously you don't have a lot of room out there, Andy. Uh, how do you approach it compared to driving your modified, say, around you know a Lancaster or a big track like a Jucasa or an Oswego? Uh, how do you approach passing on a very flat, very tight uh, racing groove like like an indoor facility? 
Well, things happen quick. Um, if you guys come and check this out next week, like I say, we got a full race Friday, a full race Saturday. If you guys want to come check it out, um, you know, you're going to see laps underneath eight seconds. Um, this is one of the bigger tracks that we're going to have. Um, the track in Albany last year was a little bit smaller. It was actually inside the hockey boards. We were going, um, I think I did a 6.7 there that weekend. But <laughs> you're probably going to see lap. You're going to see laps under eight seconds for sure. I guarantee that. And um, you know, it they they can race better than you think. Um, the Lenny Salmons and the guys, they do a really good job. They got, you know, obviously a lot of experience doing this now, and they'll really uh, they'll work the traction compound that they put down in more on the outside. So there will be an outside groove. Um, you know, you, you can make it work on the outside if you gotta. Um, as far as passing on the bottom, you know, the crossover is always there. Uh, you may see a little bit of contact. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> the indoor midget guys have been known for being a little rough when that comes to that. But um, you know, you you're, you're gonna see. Um, Probably about 40 cars there. Um, we, we averaged between 40 and 60 cars for these races. Uh, we had a we had a couple uh, collisions over in Atlantic City that might take a couple cars away, but I'm thinking we'll get at least 40 over there. They're only going to start 24, so you know you're going to get to see heat races where you know there'll be eight cars on the track and only three are going to transfer, and the rest got to go to Conti. So you're going to see guys driving pretty desperate, and you're going to see guys driving hard, and there's a lot on the line because if you don't. Uh, you know, if you start in the back of the heat race, you know, you you got to get going or else you're not going to be racing that night. So, you know, you're going to see some bumping, you're going to see some desperate moves and some slide jobs and uh, just about everything else. But uh, like I say, I mean, the Indoor Midget Series draws talent from several different forms of racing up mm-hmm. in the Northeast. So we're going to get, you know, like like Timmy Buckwalter is one of the, uh, he's going to be racing. He's one of the best um like dirt drivers, he was down at the Chili Bowl. You know, you get Eric Rudolph, a good dirt driver. You mm-hmm. know, pull a lot of guys from the modifieds, and you know, and then there's a lot of the TQ regulars. You know, like our guys, like Nye Brothers, and even out there, like Matt Janish and all them. They just kind of focus on TQs, and uh, you know, it it all comes together and put on a really, really good show. Andy Jankowiak wrapping up with him. But just a couple of weeks ago, though, you were down in Florida racing outside mm-hmm. with your modified and uh, with your McGrath Motorsports team and uh, Uncle Bud and the crew, and it. I, you didn't have the success, but still had to be fun going down there with uh, your team that you finished second with in the Race of Champions Modified Series this past year. Uh, the World Series down there in New Smyrna, your dad uh, was a former champion. Uh, despite the results, I, I'm sure it was an enjoyable experience for you. Yeah, it was different. Um, it was a learning experience. I, I think we learned a lot about what we're good at, what we're not good at. You know, the ROC Series is typically a... Uh, um, a no tire change race, which means you, you know, some modified races you're allowed to pit for a right rear tire, and other races you got to go the whole race. And the ROC, typically you got to go the whole race. So uh, we spent a lot of time the last two years really making our car a longevity car, meaning it'd be good on the long runs, but uh, not particularly good on the short runs. And uh, down in New Smyrna, with most of them being short races, we never, we just could never really tune the car back to get that short run speed that we needed. Um, you know, if we went like a 50-lap run, we were always top three speed. You know, we were driving up to the front, but unfortunately, that just uh, that wasn't uh, the the type of strategy that was going to be successful over there. So uh, it was definitely a learning experience. Um, we kept it in one piece for one for the most part. We got into one jingle there on Tuesday, but um, you know, that's racing. And uh, you know, I'm I'm grateful to, for the opportunity that McGrath and Uncle Bud gave me to go down there and do it. And uh, you know, if we do it again, we'll be we'll be smarter for next time for sure. Still had to be a pretty – that feel of modifieds. I, I know we had Chuck Hosfeld here on a couple of weeks ago, and he said a lot of it has to do with Ricky Brooks and the, the tech they do. It's kind of balanced the field out and eliminated probably some, if most, of the cheating, which is why the car counts have come back up, Andy. But 
just looking at that field every night between you and Chuck and Tommy Catalano had a great week. His mom had a great week. Uh, but then you've got, you know, the Jimmy Blewitts and the Matt Hirschmans and uh, the Doug Kobe's. Again, just the best of the best from both ends of the modified racing world coming together and putting on a show every night. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that was uh, a lot of, I think, you know, what exposed us a little bit just because, you know, normally if, if I'm a little bit off on a normal modified race, you know, I can probably run around fifth or sixth and, you know, make my moves at the end. But um, in this one, being a little bit off, you know, you you find yourself running 12th pretty quick or 15th even. Um, you know, just it, it was just a stout field front to back. And uh, the track itself had a lot of grip and, uh, you, you know, you could really use the power and uh, there wasn't as much fall off with the tires as there were at some tracks. So, uh, you know, if you're off just, just a little bit, um, you know, those those guys are going to beat you. So, um, you know, like I say, it was a little bit of an experience for sure. Uh, you know, a tough track, but um, it was cool. It reminded me a lot of Jucasa. Um, you know, it, it was a cool experience, though. You know, they, uh, they had Ben Dodge over there doing the uh, invocations before the race, and they were talking a lot, a lot about the history, and they got into, like, my dad's history over there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's cool that they remember all that stuff, and, uh, they, you know, they do it right down there. So it was cool. And uh, I guess after next weekend, you can start ten- turning even more focus to the outdoor stuff because uh, I'm sure there's there's you, you'll be looking for a little redemption this year on the Race of Champions Modified Series. You were in it with for the title right until the the 250 at Erie, and then unfortunately your motor problems. I'm sure uh, you'd like to get that one last rung on the ladder and and bring home a series championship this year at the Race of Champions Modifieds. Oh, God, that'd be nice. I am in uh, Bill Belichick hoodie mode, though, so we're, we're on to Syracuse at the moment, so that's all we're thinking about. But, uh, no, um, once we get back, uh, we're going to get focused on that. Obviously, you know, the way uh, that one slipped away last year was pretty tough on all of us. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's racing. Um, you know, we, we we left the door open a little bit too much last year, and we let that, you know, I, I think we were we ran well enough that that shouldn't have been as close as it was at the end that we were able to lose that. So uh, we really got to step up our time trial stuff. Um, you know, we think that's where we got beat last year and, uh, you know, we got to wait and you know, we got to see what the schedule looks like. Um, if anyone out there listening has a whole bunch of money that they don't mind a 20 year investment, you know, they don't need for about the next 20 years. I, I think it'll make money in about, you know, you make it back in about 20 years. Just please come by Lancaster. We need someone to come save us over there. Cause that's our, uh, that's our heart over here in Western New York. So, uh, we're all kind of watching that as much as anything else, I guess, as far as the outdoor season goes. Andy, uh, Andy J. Koya, good luck next week at Syracuse, and uh, hopefully we'll see you racing outside somewhere in Western New York in just a couple of months. Good luck next weekend. Hey, I appreciate that. Like I say, guys, Friday and Saturday next week over in Syracuse, you want to come check us out. If not, uh, you know, you can follow us on Facebook, on Andy J. Racing, or my personal page, and, uh, you know, we'll be giving you updates. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, Andy J. Koyak, and again, uh, uh Accomplished young man. I've I've interviewed him. Some of the biggest moments in his career, and I've interviewed him in any kind of race car he's been in. I've seen to interview him in Victory Lane because he's won in a lot of different things here in Western New York, uh, from modified sportsman, street stocks, TQ midgets. He's even and even the Hangover 150 Enduro at Ranceville on the dirt. He's he's done a lot, and, and uh, he's a he got he's one of the great ambassadors for the sport here in Western New York. We get back, we'll uh, wrap up this edition of Fast Track. Uh, haven't taken any phone calls, haven't really had time for phone calls, but 803-0550-1-888-550-2550. We get back here on Fast Track on WGR. Hi, this is Chris Busher, driver of the number 37 Chevrolet Z01 Camaro. You're listening to WGR Sports Radio 550. 
Chris Buescher rolls off 27th today at Las Vegas. Got him on my fantasy team as my uh, C-group driver. Although, as usual, I'm off to a terrible start in the Fast Track Fantasy League. 28th place after two races. So, yeah, that's not good. Um, I think I'm – no, am I ahead of Paul? Let's look here quickly. Uh, by the way, uh, we were misinformed at the top of the show. Uh, the race will not be on WGR. I apologize. Uh, we have Niagara basketball on the station today, so apologies for that. Uh, you can stream the race through uh, goprn.com today if you want to listen to the race. I apologize. We will not have it on the radio. Uh, TNT Lemus. That's a new one. I've never seen him before. He is up. He's jumped out to a large lead over uh, Fast Track Fantasy League veteran Glenn Watkins <laughs> so far here through two races. So uh, Paul Paul's in 21st, so Paul is ahead of me. But uh, we'll bounce back today. We'll bounce back. we got a good good lineup. We'll see what happens. I'm towards the bottom, though, here in our WGR Fast Track Fantasy League. Uh, thanks, everybody, that plays along there. We'll don't know what to expect, but hopefully a good race. Hopefully just uh, keeping it close and um, just something positive to talk about it, and hopefully this doesn't bomb out for NASCAR because a lot of people are, as you heard Matt say, worried about what kind of racing this is going to produce and uh, how the cars are going to respond. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, that comes up at 3.30 this afternoon. So we'll be back next week to talk about that and uh, a race at Phoenix next week, which will be exciting because it's uh, you know shorter than a mile and a half and should be a good one next weekend at Phoenix. So uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back here next Sunday at 11 a.m. on WGR with more Fast Track. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.